Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A half a century after its release, Midnight Cowboy remains one of the most original and groundbreaking films of the modern era. With beguiling performances from John Voight and Dustin Hoffman as two loners who join forces out of desperation, blacklist survivor Waldo Salt's brilliant screenplay and John Schlesinger's fearless direction, the 1969 film became the only X-rated film to ever win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Its vivid and compassionate depiction of a more realistic and unsanitized New York City and its inhabitants paved the way for a generation's worth of gritty movies with complex characters and adult themes. In this brilliant documentary, Desperate Souls, Dark City, and the Legend of Midnight Cowboy, filmmaker Nancy Bursky pulls the curtain back to reveal that and so much more about this wonderful film and about the people involved in making it. We're joined today by Nancy Bursky. Nancy, welcome to Film School Radio. It's good to be here. Thank you. In one of your previous documentaries by Sidney Lumet, you went back and looked at the body of his work. What was it about Midnight Cowboy in particular and John Schlesinger in general that you wanted to go back and look at the work and how it impacted the making of Midnight Cowboy? Well, actually, it was more than even the career of John Schlesinger. It was a desire to look at how certain works of art become the end product of a series of things. Um, They can be one person like John Schlesinger, a very important director who was at a stage in his life that he was he was wrestling with some issues and he needed to make a film that was really important to him that he was passionate about. Um, this is at the same time that our country is going through a kind of upheaval, partly due to the Vietnam War and and a whole host of issues that were affecting people in society allowing them to ask questions of their leaders that they hadn't asked before, you know, question authority, be disruptive. So this is all coming to the fore along with Schlesinger asking some questions about his personal work, interrogating what's going on in this country as an Englishman coming to the United States and being very moved by a novel called Midnight Cowboy by James Leo Hurley. Other things are going on as well. As I say, things were things were changing. They were being there was a kind of subversive feeling that was going on in the country with the protest movements, um, feminism, and and gay rights and black power. This is all kind of coming to the fore at the same time, and I'm finding it fascinating to imagine how this film, how it probably would never have been made in a different decade that there's a kind of inevitability around art that is a function of of the things that go on around it. You know, I I often say that sometimes an era makes a a movie and a movie makes an era. And I think this is a perfect example of a movie that was very much a function of uh, a disruptive time and a filmmaker who enters into a film about a country he doesn't even live in and observes it with this incredibly keen documentary eye, comes out of it with a fascinating depiction of what's going on in the United States. 
there's an element of John Schlesinger's life that I was unaware of that he had come out of, as you mentioned, a very rich tradition of documentary filmmaking. And he had made, according to, I think it was uh, John Voigt, that's over a hundred documentary films. Someone in the film said said that he had made that many documentaries. Was that for BBC that he was? It making? was me, me, much of it was for the BBC, not all of it, but much of it. And some of them were shorts, but there oh. were many. And when you're doing something for television, you're kind of turning them out fairly rapidly. So I, I wouldn't say there were a hundred feature length documentaries, but there were many very fine documentaries made for the BBC and a few other places. The one that got the most attention, and we have a little snippet of it in our film, is called Terminus. And that ended up playing at the Venice Film Festival and winning a prize. And, and that really kind of set him on the path to starting to make narrative films. But the documentary, the observational yeah. um, element of his work is what I think plays such a rich role in Midnight Cowboy. Absolutely right. And I it's become kind of a thing for me to talk about with filmmakers in the sense that you as a documentary filmmaker understand this as well as anyone. And that that is the ability that you possess and others to be able to capture moments that are unscripted is no small feat. And to be able not only to do that, but also to be uh, kind of on razor's edge, if you're making a documentary, you're in the field, you're with, you're working with a cinematographer, you need, you may only have one chance to get that shot. And I think there's something about that in training uh, a filmmaker for the narrative side of, of, of filmmaking. Is that a, is that, am I being fair about that? Well, I think um, the idea of capturing something as it's happening is obviously so much a part of documentary work. And, and that includes documentary photography. Um, you can't go back and do it again. So there's the, you've got to be very nimble and you've got to kind of compose in your head. Um, yeah. I remember I, I started out as a documentary photographer. So this is ringing very true to me. I remember uh, one of my mentors reminded me that there's there are kinds of compositions that take place in your head even before you see what's going on in front of you. So you have to trust that. And I think that goes for narrative film, too. There's a look and a feel to a narrative film that very often comes out of that sense of composition that you have. Obviously, this goes for painting, too. If you're making a narrative film that is is very observational, as is Midnight Cowboy, then obviously it's much more connected to what you're saying and what we're saying here right. than if you're making a narrative film that is um, not so observational. Um, but there's always a sense of chance and there's always a happy accident that happens even in narrative films that you should embrace. And in the case of Midnight Cowboy, there is a rawness to it. The, the scenes on the street have that kind of documentary feel to them. While obviously it was staged and they were, it was well planned out, but there is well, still. But excuse me, let me, let me, may yeah. I interrupt you just sure. to say that it's not totally staged. I mean, there, they, you know, he worked with a cinematographer, Adam Hollander, who mm. really wanted to capture that as it's happening feeling and fact they wanted to work in black and white originally and they ended up working in color but Adam chose to open up the lens so that they could work with as much available light as possible um, so you really did feel like it was happening and there's an awful lot that happens on location in this film that had not happened before yeah and I meant I meant the documentary part of the the outside shots just as you described them I was more speaking of the interiors which are obviously more I see of course more stage but to that point yeah. To that point, uh, legend has it um, that the scene 
where um, Dustin Hoffman and John Voight are walking across the street and the taxi appears in frame and and Hoffman bangs on the and, and says something to the taxi driver. I was under the impression that that was completely off the cuff. That that scene happened organically. I think I I think some of it is off the cuff. It was in the script, um, mm-hmm. but I think that they they were forced to work in a situation, a natural situation. And I I believe the taxi was. I've heard so many different versions of this story that I'm not sure anymore what what's <laughs> correct and what isn't. Well, well, let's okay, let's set that aside. But it's just sort of urban legend I had heard. But the other part of it is, let's talk about the film itself. What was it about? This is about this the the, the hustler and just sort of the broad outlines of what Midnight Cowboy. What was it about? You mean the the actual original film? Yeah, the the original. Not film. the di- Okay, well, yeah, Midnight Cowboy is a story about a Midnight Cowboy. It's about a guy who comes from Texas and decides he's going to try to make it in New York. Um, that's the broadest outline. When I say make it, I mean, literally, he's going yeah. <laughs> to make it with women and then eventually men because he's not as successful with women as he thought he was going to be. Um, he thinks of himself as as a stud, as a hustler, but it doesn't all work out. What's most important, though, about this story is not what I shouldn't say most important, but what's equally important is not just Joe Buck's journey, but the relationship he forms with Ratza Rizzo, yeah. who is a real street hustler and down on on his luck in every way and um, and suffering from who knows how many different illnesses. I don't know whether he has TB or pneumonia, but he's he's sickly. And they kind of form a peculiar partnership or relationship. And you know, it's not sexual, but there's definitely a very unusual companionship that takes place. And I think that that's one of the things that gripped John Schlesinger, that he saw the possibility for a kind of alternative bonding, if you want, in these two men. And that's one of the things that moved me so much about it, that we we often think in very black and white terms, you know, men are either gay and they're sexually involved or they're not, and they barely have a friendship past what ha- what they talk about in a locker room or over sports. But there can be other kinds of relationships. And I think that that is something that was important to, to Schlesinger. He was a gay man himself. He grew up in a family that totally embraced his lifestyle, although he didn't come out for many, many years. But, you know, he was very family oriented. So here's a gay man who felt family was uppermost. And there's a way that he combines all of that in this movie, which I found very moving. Yeah, and that is very important part of the film. The care that they had for one another, the I'll call it love. They loved each other on, on, on some level where they were they had a concern. Obviously, Ratso Rizzo was a gruffer kind of character playing off of Buck, who was kind of a knave, if you will, for for the big city, but there was a true bonding that was going on and reflects and it reflects in the way that they they took care of each other. I, I completely agree. And I think it's one of the reasons that this film has lasted as long as it has. You know, there are other films that were made right around the same time that dealt with the counterculture like Easy Rider. But I think that this film deals, as I say, a little bit subversively with the culture. But more importantly, it deals with an aspect of the human condition, which is so important to who we are as human beings. And that's compassion. And that's caring. And that's finding some kind of salvation in a relationship like that. So I I think that the film, as important it is to that period and that decade, 
lives well past the decade because those are issues that affect us all at any time. We just passed the 50-year anniversary. We were, it was 70 or 71. I can't remember. I've forgotten exactly when it came out. It came out in 69, and oh, it 60. won the, but it was, it was 1970 that it won the Academy Award. There you go. That's what I had in my mind was the when it won. Okay. Yeah. And, and and this film is so wonderfully done. It's By the way, it's called Desperate Souls, Dark City, and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy. We're speaking with the director, writer, and producer, and that would be Nancy Bersky. And what you managed to put into this film is the making of John Schlesinger's journey, the the John Voight, who, who's terrific, uh, providing kind of a, a, a narrative about his role, but also about the film itself, Jenny Saltz in it. There's a lot of wonderful stories about the making of the film in the film. And as I said, you we... we get into the the filmography of of uh, John Schlesinger and how it reflects his sensibility and as he moves through his life as a gay man I don't know if you would call him a closeted gay man but certainly a gay man who was reluctant to talk about that and how Midnight Cowboy provides a bit of a platform a bit of an opportunity for him to to express himself in that regard as well is that again I want to make sure I'm not overstating that no, as a matter of fact, you stated that very well, because I do see Midnight Cowboy as almost a kind of Trojan horse for him to explore some of these issues before he then goes and does it much more explicitly in Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, these issues, the, the, the homoerotic nature of a cowboy in general is something that is touched on intuitively. At one point, Ratso says something to Joe Buck about, uh, you know, his his trying to be a cowboy and making fun of him a little bit about yeah. that. But, you know, we actually explore it more in our film, what the cowboyness of it all is. But, you know, going back to John Schlesinger, I think that he was in the closet and he only came out of the closet years after, in, into his life, I, you know, as a kind of middle-aged man and he falls in love with Michael Childers, who is in our film as well, and they have a, a, a long sustaining relationship for more than 35 years. But, you know, and initially when he was coming up as a young man, it was against the law in, in England. Um, he could have been arrested for being practicing same sex relationship. And so he had to be careful, even if his family embraced it, it didn't mean society did. Yeah. And that's an important part of the film, the gay liberation movement of the time. It was also, as you mentioned, the anti-war movement, women's rights, environmental concerns beginning to become a big part of the social fabric of our country. All of those things are happening. And this film, yeah, it did capture that, I'll call it zeitgeist of that time. You really do focus in on his films. Uh, and I list of them just here in front of me that are terrific films. <laughs> Sunday Bloody Sunday, you mentioned Far From the Maddening Crowd, Marathon Man, Billy Liar, A Kind of Loving. Those are all very well done, excellent films. And through them, we get an opportunity to see John Schlesinger as the artist that he is. I want to talk about the release of Desperate Souls, Dark City, and The Legend of Midnight Cowboy, which is coming out here in Los Angeles on June 23rd. We talked earlier about the impact that the film had cinematically. It was the first film, X-rated film, ever nominated for an Academy Award. In fact, won Best Picture of the Year uh, from the Academy in 1970. 
Let's talk about the impact that Midnight Cowboy had on the people in the film. John Voight, Dustin Hoffman. They appear to be desperate to be part of it. I mean, I wouldn't call them necessarily desperate souls in the sense of our title, but they were absolutely passionate about being in this movie. I would call desperate souls would probably um, reflect more um, John Schlesinger's state of mind when he because he had far from the matting crowd had not done well in the united states it actually flopped so that was that was a he was in a bad place um and and yet he took the risk to make this movie which was a risky movie for sure um and waldo salt waldo salt the screenwriter who had been blacklisted for 11 years and had written under a pseudonym in all likelihood i'm not sure what he actually had done and what if he had sold anything but you know this was the first opportunity he had to write script. And that's something that Schlesinger, you know, made possible for him. So um, there were some people who were, they were, they were in pretty desperate straits when they were making this film. And yet they come together and it just combusts into this kind of miraculous film. The story is amazing. James yeah. Leo Hurley, who had written the novel, um, had written a very profound novel. And I think it's one of the reasons people wanted to make this so badly, because the novel itself was so important. Just wonderful work. I, I continue to uh, be a big fan of your work. I first time you were on the program, Afternoon of a Fawn, which uh, is just a revelatory film in the sense that I had no idea that Penaquil existed and just such a great portrayal of her and her life by Sidney Lumet, another wonderful film. My appreciation of him uh, was always there, but I, I I felt like I really came away knowing him, knowing his work in, in a deeper level, uh, obviously loving and also the uh, loving story, which you were doc the documentary about th that amazing. There's a, all these, all the <laughs> subjects that you've picked are just, they've been for me, things I didn't basically know very much about until I saw your film and the rape of, uh, is it Reese? Have I got that Reese? Yes. Yes. Reese, yes. The, yeah, the rape mm -hmm. of Reese Taylor and then a crime on the Bayou for anyone listening to our conversation, check out any and all of those films because they really are beautifully done. And uh, Nancy, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate oh. you back on. I can't thank you enough for for some really interesting questions and a great discussion and for your what you've said about the work because oh. it means so much to me um, to be remembered for those those movies as as we're coming out with a new one. It's it's by the way your your um, listeners if they're interested in knowing anything more about these films we do have a website it's called AugustaFilms.com. Um, we have Facebook page and we you know we're on social media. Um, and all of these films have their own page, but if they want to just get a capsule of the work, they could go on AugustaFilms.com and each one of them is, is, has its own page and a description and, and a trailer for each one of the films as well. Outstanding, outstanding work. There will be a link on the Film School Radio website. So for people who are, we'll, we'll go from there, but Augusta Films, if you want to go directly there right now, feel free. And <laughs> uh, Nancy Bersky, thank you so very much. And I look forward to more conversations with you. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. As, as do I. Thank you very, very much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. 
Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.